0: Thank <laughs> you. back to The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. My name is Sonny Bunch. Uh, I am the culture editor at The Bulwark. Uh, and I'm very pleased to be joined today by Sean McNulty. Now, Sean uh, does a daily newsletter at The Ankler, a group of po- podcasts and newsletters and everything else that I am constantly telling people to subscribe to. Uh, and I was, as I was just telling Sean before we started, it has quickly become my like go-to morning read. It saves me having to go to Variety and Hollywood Reporter everywhere else. I love it. It's all right there for me. Uh, so thank you for being on the show today, Sean. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I
1: appreciate it. the invite, Sonny. It's great to meet you. Uh,
0: so I, let's. I, I want to talk about everything that's going on in the world of uh, the business of Hollywood right now because there's a bunch of different stories kind of crashing all up against one another. Uh, and I guess we could, we should start with the the big event from earlier in the week, the Emmys. The Emmys happened. Uh, you know, let's let's break down what actually happened at the Emmys and what it tells us about the state of. Uh, I guess TV or streaming or whatever we want to call the content of stuff that comes, the flood of stuff that comes to our TV through apps and you know linear and everything else, uh, right now. What's what's going on in the world of TV as seen through the the lens of the Emmys? Well,
1: not its most popular show, I'll tell you that right now, and that's the biggest takeaway. Is you know, to my knowledge, to my I honestly, to be clear, I, I flip between some uh, Monday Night Football premiere and the Emmys, um, as maybe a few Americans did, but. You know, no mention of Yellowstone, which is the show most Americans watch, um, which was also mm-hmm. not nominated. And, you know, look, it's an artistic award. So as the Oscars do not re- reward box office, but in terms of cultural relevancy, there's the kind of disconnect in that, you know, Succession won again for best you know, drama series. But you're talking a show that maybe reaches, you know, the numbers are about one 1.6 1. 6 million in ratings, maybe, you know, on demand or streaming it goes up to two, maybe three if you're being generous. You know, Yellowstone's pulling in 14 million a week. Um so, you know again, it's not it's an artistic award, but in terms of your question about relevancy to the public or why do people maybe let watch the show less, is because the show's on you know, Ted Lasso is probably the biggest ballpark hit out there, uh, of all the shows that are nominated. Uh so, you know, that's really the thing that maybe I mean, certainly in the past, when network TV was a big thing with West Wing and things that you know, 20 million Americans would watch every week. You know, this is the as the business has changed to niche, niche, niche. Uh, you know, the tastes have gone one way, but the Ameri- the vast majority of Americans' taste has stayed in a certain you know milieu.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess that's that's the broader question here. Really, at this point, is what is the point of the Emmys mm. in a in a world of niche? Entertainment. I mean, I, I aside from being, you know, look, it, everybody loves getting awards, sure. and nobody, nobody loves giving themselves awards more than folks no. in Hollywood. I, I, I can appreciate that as a journalist. We lots of journalism awards out <laughs> Probably there. Probably take second that. place. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, but the, but you know, it, it is, it, it like, I, I, it, it is not entirely clear to me what the. Uh, what the point of a big broadcast show like this is for the average viewer? I, I didn't. I I haven't watched the Emmy. I'll, I'll put my cards on the table. I didn't watch the Emmys this week, and I haven't watched the Emmys in years. It just doesn't. It, it. There's nothing. It does not interest me at all. I I have other things I need to do with my time, and I am I'm a guy who you know writes about this stuff for a living. I can't imagine what it's like for the average person.
1: Yeah, it's, you know, what's the takeaway? It's you give another award to a show you gave an award to last year. You know, uh, both show, you know, Ted Lasso's won, Succession's won, Zendaya's won. You know, like you're just giving awards to people who already have awards. We know they're great. We heard of them. Fantastic. Uh, You know, there is. What's the takeaway for it? Exactly. I mean, Seth Rogen put it best. Everything he was talking about the Oscars, but asked about award shows. He's like, you know. I don't care who wins the best insurer of the year award. I'm sure there's a ceremony. I don't need to watch it. You know, like it's just, it's, it's an industry focused thing that, you know, at at a certain time maybe would launch or maybe would get a bigger, you know, raise the profile of a show. Like maybe a show like Abbott elementary, you know, may, I mean, it's already got buzz on it, but that may help boost it in season two, you know, in theory, but you know, network TV is also a dying business. It's, you know, so the, whatever that used to be, you know, the people, the the great cast got uh, acknowledgments from, from Squid Game, which was great. And it's like, OK, maybe that gets a little bit of a awareness raise. But I don't think that that was the, the common, you know, the common conventional wisdom before that. I think really, to your point, doesn't apply. And the ratings show that every year. The ratings keep going down.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I what? Let's let's look at this from a from a you know top down point of view. Uh, how did the network shake out? I mean, who who was the big so, winner? Yeah, I mean, who HBO was the Max
1: loser? won you know big. Uh, I think it was either thirty six or forty, whatever. You know, and they were the most nominated certainly, and you know Netflix was second. Uh, and Hulu probably I believe was third because just looking at you know. And there's also Creative Arts Emmys and the Emmys in the show last night, so it's a you know cumulative right, right. total. So you know, but that was those. That's how the nominations shook out. So yeah, and you know, t- television is <laughs> cyclical. They have certain dates. So certain, you know, the Crown wasn't eligible. They well, it didn't air this year. It aired last year. So year to year comparisons are even useless because it's yeah. not the it's not movies. It's not sports where it's every year's the same calendar. So to, even to further the point, this kind of competition back and forth that there's not level playing fields. And the biggest thing about the Emmys that really in this day and age that just and I've spoken about this probably more to the chagrin of my ankler uh, teammates. But there are 500 television shows out there. No one's watching them all. This is not a competition based on the judges having seen all, all contestants. What kind of a competition is this? Back in the day, you probably could theoretically watch most or if not all network TV shows. And that was pretty much all that was out there. When you have a universe of 500 scripted TV shows out there, What's the point of the award? You're just saying, "Hey, here's a show I watched out of the 500, you know, The White Lotus, you know, supporting actress in a limited series." Literally had every, you know, it was like 5 out of 7 or 7, you know, out of nominees. You're telling me there weren't six other people in limited yeah. series in the in the era of limited series that were worthy of the nomination? It's a it's a you know, it's literally becoming a joke and it's like at what point does it become a punchline and So not that I'm coming across very anti Emmys. It's nice to award people. It's lovely. Should anybody care? No. You know, it's it's an industry award that happened to have stature that to your point, you haven't watched it in years. I think a lot of people feel the same way. And we'll see what the Monday Night Football versus Emmy you know, audiences this week as well.
0: I mean, we're, we're going to come back to football here in a second. Uh, let's move to D twenty three. the The big industry news of the week was was you know Disney has their big uh, confab. They got everybody out there. That we're going to show us all the new things that Disney is doing. And as best as I could tell, there's nothing. There's there's like <laughs> nothing really new. I mean, I that's a, that's an exaggeration. I'm joking. There's a you know, Inside Out sequel and there's a movie based on the star that people wished on right, sure. in the other yeah. disney Power movies which yeah,
1: she'll be starring in yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> i d- i don't understand that but but like so what's 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 going on uh, what 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 are the big takeaways from disney what sh- what should we know from d23
1: well i mean i joked in my headline for the wake up this week you know on monday was you know the 167 alerts you got about d23 put into one newsletter because it's impossible to even keep track of this stuff. And, you know, the bigger question for me is what's back to what's the point? Like it's, you know, you have people in the room who pay, I think it was like like either like 400 to $800, like a ridiculous amount of money they pay to be marketed. They go to this thing, you know, the quote unquote, don't call it a cult, you know, whatever that Disney's, you know, it's like uh, it's a fan base that comes together to celebrate this corporation. Let's face it, you know, uh, it's a corporate, You know, pep rally like, you know, so it's a very odd unique uh, to your thing. And what's the news? It's like, oh, there's Harrison Ford. Yeah, we know he's making a movie. Is there nothing? Is there any? No, he's just coming out to say hi. Okay, great. You know, it's a comic con for Disney, which is essentially what the idea was. And you, they literally dropped 11 trailers in one day. If you're going to, you know, which maybe the people in the room cared about. But in terms of general buzz, you spent essentially millions of dollars creating these trailers and what's the you know what's the rub here hocus pocus 2 came out which was when that and it was announced as a film you know got a bunch of buzz i've seen nobody mention oh the trailer's out because it just gets lost in its own morass of information i don't understand outside of a cheer a cheer section to make everybody feel great about disney what the larger it's a lot of wasted capital i guess we're all talking about it which is sort of are or we all we are because we have to but is the public right. does the public know <laughs> about this you know like outside of the core Disney you know people who are quite frankly get to see this stuff anyway you have to win over the rest of the people who don't care about this stuff you know so that's questionable to me uh, you know uh, Warner Brothers famously they just started DC fandom they, they canceled it like they're like we're not doing yeah. this anymore and then we're gonna have um, next weekend to doom or to dumb or whatever Netflix is <laughs> how would they pronounce that their version of this <laughs> yeah. happens next weekend. And it's like, this is going to be all over again. And I just don't know that there's, uh, you know, you know, I'm, I'm a little, I'm not baffled, but I'm, I'm questioning, I guess. Well,
0: you know, it's interesting. It's interesting. I, I've never heard it put exactly this way, or at least in, in, in such, such quick proximity to each other, but it really is like almost a microcosm for the, uh, unbundled world in which we live right now. It used to be all this stuff was at Comic-Con.
1: You'd <laughs> you have
0: all this stuff at San Diego Comic-Con. Once a year. People would show up and they show their trailers and there'd be the big Hall H events and everybody would be like, hey, this is what we're doing for the next year. Hooray. And now you have like six of these different events and they, they're they all both diluted in quality, but also like filled with stuff. Filled with stuff. And it's, it's just too much. Yeah. And look,
1: Comic-Con was just literally... Not even two months ago. It was seven weeks ago. Like, you know, so it's just like back to back to back to back. What is, you know, what what are you winning? I don't know. And this is a, a conversation I've been having in my newsletter, which, you know, and with the Ankler team on, the, on our podcast is, you know, marketing. And it's like, you're getting lost in the noise and you're not spending the money where you should be spending the money. You know, as, as much as it gets derided, old fashioned marketing works. There's a reason studios spend $50 million on a movie to market it because that's what makes a memory. You know, and I was talking a lot about the summer movie business this summer where, you know, the, the, the top 10 box office films versus the top 10 Netflix films, which get re- relatively no marketing budget behind it. You're not creating events in people's minds. What do you remember? I mean, it was, I didn't see Elvis. I watched on HBO Max a week ago. But I remember it as an event of the summer of 2022, you know, um, that's a big difference in people's minds and hearts.
0: Let's let's talk about that for a minute, because uh, on one of my other podcasts across the movie aisle, we actually talked about that this week. We talked about the uh, the in your in your newsletter, the uh, breakdown of what what the top opening weekends in the Netflix box office <laughs> right. quote unquote quote, quote, hours watched. Yeah uh what what the top 11 movies there were versus the top 10 movies at the the actual box office And you know from my POV I had I had heard of I think seven mm-hmm. of the top 11 Netflix movies. I mean, I' had only watched I think three maybe four. Um, again, this is my job. Like I, like I feel like I'm. I, I can't tell if I'm out of the ordinary in terms of seeing more than usual or seeing fewer than usual. Frankly, I, I don't know. Um, but with with the movies, with the actual movies, I'd heard of all of them and I'd seen all of them. And like, I feel like that's that's a big difference. But most importantly, for a movie star, if I'm a movie star, if I'm a person who relies on being a public presence to get cast and roles and to get big paychecks, why would I? be in a Netflix movie aside from the fact that I'm going to get, you know, a 25 to $40 million payday to get, you know, covering both my salary and the back end points. Right? Like that's obvious. I mean, look, I, sh- I-, I-, I could turn my nose up at $40 million. Somebody comes to me. Hey, <laughs> yeah, Sonny, right. we want you to be in this movie. <laughs> but, but at the same time, like, you know, you are kind of cannibalizing yourself. You are, you are losing, uh, out on other instances in which you could be again boosting your your public profile here are is there is there any discussion about this in the Hollywood community about like what the actual uh, cost is in addition to the benefit
1: yeah it's a I'm not going to say it's a new phenomenon but it's definitely one that people are becoming more conscious of and uh, you know i think and that's why i wrote about it and i got a lot you know a lot of response from you know the anchor is primarily an industry audience, and from the industry, saying, you know, yeah, this is a problem no one's talking about. And you've got people now, I mean, I, I still have to do, I want to research this more, but even with someone like Will Ferrell has not been in a theatrical film with a proper marketing campaign. You know, in 2018 with Watson and Holmes, or Watson and Holmes, whatever that comedy that did, did yeah. not do well. Uh, Which what didn't even get that big of a campaign like you know he's been in the Eurovision movie which came out on Netflix He was in the shrink next door which got a decent amount of love from Apple, but it's also Apple not Netflix You know and his next movie is another Netflix movie, you know uh, coming out with Ryan Reynolds at Christmas And again things I only know because I follow this stuff But when was the last time Will Ferrell was on every TV ad on TV, you know when that's five six years later when he's you know when you've been out of that point of view You know, that we I mean, no one knows what the ramifications are, but look, you know, you're only as good as your last hit or your lineup as big as these films might be for Netflix, which, yay, Netflix. You know, as I said, Chris Hemsworth had two films that came out this summer. What's the other one? You know, and he spent as much as he spent making Thor. He spent four months, whatever, making this other movie. And it's it's time away. And it's a you got a nice paycheck for it. But does the Chris Hemsworth brand benefit? It's like no, and that's where I think that there's some. It's a new phenomenon, so I don't to answer your question. I don't think this has been discussed too much, but I think stars are starting to catch on to this. That like as much as social media uses, lack of a better term, people to you know to feed their algorithm, they're in no interest in promoting individual brands. They want you know attention and time spent. Streaming services want subscribers and people just engaging with the product. They're not in the business of making stars. They haven't made any yet. I mean, you know, there has not been a major A-list star to come out of streaming. Streaming has been very popular for many years now. Why is that? Because they don't invest in the star making process, which is marketing, which is the huge campaign. And that costs a lot of money.
0: Well, I, you know, I I made this, I made this point very briefly on my other podcast. And I want to, I want to drill down on it a little bit here because it almost feels it almost feels like a predatory pricing scheme that that netflix is is utilizing here what i mean is this right like if you look at a company like amazon sometimes they will deeply discount something to get you to go there and you're not so you're not buying it from a from a box store. So you're not going to the convenience store, whatever. Right. And uh, Netflix is almost doing the opposite of that. They're overpaying stars to come to Netflix, which deprives the theatrical model of the stars, um, which in turn destroys the theatrical model. But once that theatrical model is destroyed, those those stars are not going to be able to get those twenty five to forty million dollar paychecks from Netflix, because Netflix is going to say them, well, what are you going to do? You're going to go make a movie for for uh, Universal. Good luck right.
1: to enjoy you know. half the amount of money, whatever, you know, and it's like, uh, yeah, it's back to our original. How is a star made, Sonny? Which is uh, what Disney is going to be making a movie about. <laughs> <laughs> and when that ecosystem, you know, is all, you know, COVID obviously just decimated it for two years, but it's, you know, it's coming back. But, the, the you know, and this is the larger box office question, you know, in the pandemic, whatever, like, nobody's going to go back to the movies anymore. Everybody hates the movies. I'm like, no, people love the movies. Stop saying that. The problem is there's a product there's a there's a supply pro- supply chain problem, and people have come back this year, you know. But why is box office down twenty percent? Because the number of releases is not the same as it was in 2019, you know. So unless this is fed, that's how the Jennifer Lawrences of the world get made. You know, it's not going to be, uh, you know. I mean, as much as Jacob Elordi is a great, you know, talent and is in Euphoria and originated on Netflix, he's not opening. He's not Timothy Chalamet great example right. like what is timothy chalamet right. doing is he doing streaming movies no he's doing dune he's doing you know bones and all he's which, which is his indie film with you know guadagnino so he's staying in the theatrical game there are these star younger star you know florence Pugh, same thing don't worry darling as much as that movie's press is all over the place her name is out there yeah. and that's because it's a theatrical film i guarantee you if i was a streaming film it would not be, you know, getting the same kind of buzz. It doesn't have that anticipation. You get the, you know, people selling out IMAX, the Harry Styles fans. It's a theater, it's an event. If it was a streaming movie, you would have none of this to go with it. And that's what these, it's interesting to see what these younger stars who are not the household name yet, where the smart ones, I'll, I'll call smart ones, are spending, what projects they're taking. I'm sure Tim, Timothy Chalamet can get a huge check from a streamer for something, but maybe he has no interest. I have no idea, but, you know, but. He, you know, people know movies make stars. It's always been yeah. that way. And as much as TV can make some, the crossover, you know, you know, Brian Cranston is not a movie. you know, like John had Hib- the, the big names of the early 2010s. How many of them transitioned to being movie stars? You know, it's always that tough hurdle, you know, outside right. of George Clooney. has been like the, you know, the, the patron saint of crossover. Uh, yeah. It's a rare thing.
0: Yeah. Uh, let's let's loop back to Disney for a second because there's there's been an interesting kind of understory uh, over the last I like year or two now I feel like um but it involves in uh, an activist investor named Dan Loeb who has been trying to get uh Disney to like uh split off ESPN into its own separate thing. Um, and he, my understanding is, he's kind of backed off on that now. But fill, fill me in on that because it's actually very interesting for reasons I'll get to, get to in a second. Okay. I'm, I'm very curious about why he's doing this and why he has stopped. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: so Dan Loeb is, yes, a quote unquote activist investor, which I don't know if that's a self-appointed moniker or not. I don't know that many Wall Street folks want to be called activists. Um, but his, uh, it's kind of a classic. I mean, I mean uh, Carl Icahn, you know, did this famously where. Dan Loeb's got a lot of money and he invests, you know, he buys 5% of a company and then says, I want this to happen. And it's a way to, you know, essentially it's a way to for him to make money because then he can, you know, he wants the stock price to go up on this news that he's out there that they're doing the, you know, it's, it's a kind of a scheme in a sense. But so Dan uh, bought a big chunk of Disney stock. It's not an ownership stock, but it's, you know, not a few shares. And then he writes this letter, quote, unquote, letter to Bob Chapek, who's the CEO of Disney, saying, you should, you know, you should spin off ESPN. You're leaving money on the table. ESPN can be much more valuable as its own company, you know, and I want you to do this as this activist investor. Sometimes it works. Sometimes, you know, companies ignore people. There's various ways this goes, but this happened in the middle of August this week dan posted on twitter uh yeah i'm now convinced after talking to the guys that they have the right plan for espn it's like well, why don't you do that a month ago um you know I, it's just he just is doing it to get this press and get and maybe i mean i don't believe disney stock has moved too much since he's you know made his investment um and everybody was like you know and, and what does he know about running espn quite frankly I, you know i mean he's looked at some numbers but now he Came back like what if they what if they had listened to him and now he's saying it's a bad idea like it's not a good look and when, when he made that announcement everybody's like Dan that's a terrible idea do you know how much ESPN would cost by its own it's about $35 a month that the math's been done on this. You know, yeah. Uh, go ahead, yeah, and
0: this is right. And this is what this is what's interesting to me because it it has always felt like Disney is the secret money maker. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, ESPN mm-hmm. is the secret money maker for sure. Disney. ESPN, you know, generates tons and tons of money off of the uh, cable cable subs that you know the affiliate fees, right? That that c- cable companies have to pay uh, to keep it on the the service tiers where everybody can see it, um, uh, and you know, uh, on top of that, all the advertising revenue. I mean, it, ESPN is one of the last places where you can get live sports. So, uh, you know, what were what were the Sunday night football ratings? It was twenty five uh, on NBC.
1: So. It the, was uh, tw- well, 20.425 right. total with, with Peacock. Yeah. So huge numbers. Right. Yeah.
0: So, so, so I mean, like football is still a huge draw. Uh, ESPN uh, owns Monday Night Football. Well, we don't, we don't actually have the numbers no, on that yet because exactly. we're, we're taping before. But, but they're, they will probably be similarly large, you know, um, rel- relative to. Being on cable versus broadcast, whatever, uh, but like they will be yeah. big, um, and that's what what I don't understand is you, you you have one of the few places where people still have to go to watch live TV. Uh, they still have, they are still like the the crown jewel in the declining but still very large linear TV market. Why would you spin it off? Why would, I don't understand. I don't. That makes <laughs> me, no sense. I got
1: nothing for you, and that was basically what the reaction to his letter was. Everybody, I mean, I don't know why he thought this was. And he's also saying, you know, they can't be involved in gambling. I'm like, do you watch ESPN? They have shows devoted to gambling. I don't know, you know, this kind of, like, you haven't, have you looked at ESPN in the past five years? It was just this, like, it was so bizarre, Sonny, that I was like, and everybody was like, I don't know what world, they're very involved in gambling. They don't have an ESPN branded gambling service yet, but they're gonna. And that's kind of what I think that. His insight that he got over the last month was like, oh, you guys are already doing this, you know, or I don't know. But that seems to be the thing that came around. And quite frankly, even that, you know, uh, the gambling services as is can't are not making money like there's a, you know, FanDuel and Draft. You know, these games have been around for a while. I don't know the ESPN, the brand is going to all of a sudden convince more people to gamble. Maybe they get a different edge of the crowd. But like it's, you know, Barstool, you know, every, everybody's Caesars. There's plenty of competitors. If you want to gamble online, there's not a problem outside of legality in certain states. The problem is maybe there weren't as many gamblers as you thought there were. So I don't know if this is the, even the panacea that they all think it is anyway. But to your point, you know, ESPN—the secret sauce of ESPN—is that they make their money by people not watching it. Everybody subsidizes ESPN. It's the old CNBC same problem, same business model. CNBC gets an average viewership of three hundred thousand people. Roughly seventy million people a month pay for C- CNBC. They don't know it. it's part of your cable yeah. bill, but without that subsidization. These services cost a lot of money, which is, you know, you've seen this uh, in certain sports markets, uh, Nessen, which is the kind of New England cable network for the uh, Boston Red Sox and Boston Bruins, they went OTT at $30 a month for to watch the Sox and the Bruins. This is the real cost of sports that's been buried in the cable model because everybody's been paying for it, even though, yes, ESPN's popular, but maybe it's, you know, 4% of cable subscribers watch ESPN on a given night, you know. Yeah. So that's the secret of it. And when you unravel that, I mean, it's going to unravel because of cord cutting anyway. And there is a problem looming. But to your point, you know, it is the glue that's holding the cable bundle together. And, and, you know, that's the last piece, which I don't even know ever goes away. But the OTT answer is not ESPN. If you just want to buy ESPN is going to be very expensive. And it's like, oh, I didn't know it'd be that much. Eh, I'm fine with the bundle, you know, or whatever it might be.
0: Right, I mean, this is I, I, I've hammered on this point again and again, <laughs> but you know, uh, unbundling always sounds like a great deal. Everyone's like, "Oh, I only want to pay for what I use," yeah. but you just end up paying for the you pay you end up paying the same amount of money for way fewer options. Well, no one knows uh, how much and, things cost.
1: Like what I use, what you right. use actually costs a lot. You don't know that. Like that's what everybody's. Like, I just want to pay for what I use. Oh, okay. Well, here you go. There's what it costs. And like, oh, maybe I don't. You know, they think it costs a lot less yeah. in this. You know. Social media, free news, you know, like this, you know, this online economy is created. this, like, oh, everything's so cheap. And it's like eh. Netflix was priced a certain way for years because they were loss leading. They were losing money. Yeah. Then they slowly raised the prices and now they make money. But Netflix is now $15 a month. So the real price of Netflix was 15 bucks. They were charging you eight for a while as a loss leader. Disney Plus, the same thing. By the way, all your if you have Hulu, your price is going up in October. By two bucks, and if you have Disney Plus, if you want to have the ad-free experience, it's going up by three bucks in December. This is the real cost of Disney Plus. It's been around for three years, but it's not what it really is not what it costs to be a business, and that's what everybody's slowly. Any any deal that's good to be true, (laughs) probably is.
0: Yeah. Uh, let's talk, uh, you know, speaking of, uh, companies that are losing money, let's talk a little bit about Cineworld's bankruptcy. Mm. Um, uh, because I, I, it's, it's interesting and like, Kind of depressing to look at the the filing from last weekend. Again, just like looking at the bullet points in your in your newsletter from Thursday or Friday, uh, it was like, oh, they owe this much money to these companies. Oh, they owe this much money in leases. Oh, they don't actually own anything. Where (laughs) are they gonna? You know, what are they gonna use as collateral? So, like, I, I I try to. This is another thing I try to explain to people. But like, the theatrical business only really works if you have a steady flow of product, right? Because they don't own anything. You can't like regal regal cinemas does not own the regal theater that you go to they lease it
1: they're the biggest renters uh you know one of the biggest real estate renters out there you know uh and everybody knows when you rent an apartment or own an apartment there are different economics involved in those things it's cheaper uh you don't have to buy the building um but you gotta keep paying the rent uh and when your business model goes down that's a problem i mean look the movie business has been you know as old as dirt it's like how does it make money selling you popcorn and soda not the movie ticket so they need people coming in to buy the popcorn and soda if there's less of that going on which is what's been happening because there are fewer releases i mean COVID aside of whatever you know that thing but just even now the problem in 2022 that they're facing they need people in the door you know and that's a if they're not coming to the door they're not making money off of concessions and they only keep roughly 40 percent of whatever you know box office revenue you know maybe up to 50 depending upon the splits of a movie. So when, you know, the uh, bullet train opens to 30 million, Sony's keeping, you know, about 20 million of that money. And then the Regal and AMC and the, you know, Cinemarks of the, of the world are keeping the other, you know, 30 to 40%. That's your that's it. There is no other revenue stream here to like lean on if that isn't working. So when the supply goes down or people at this month, you know, September is this big, you know, we, I've talked about it. I'm sure you've acknowledged it as well. This lack of even product coming in and even a list product or, you know, high profile product. Your rent is still due at the end of the month just because you're, you know, the, the studios, which you don't own and they have you have no say in how much product you're getting. They have no ownership. St- you know, Cinemark has no or Center World has no ownership stake in the studios. Studios ha- can do what they want. You know, so you have you don't own anything. as You say you don't own the movie. You don't even own the theater you're in. You're in a very dependent business on a lot of things that you can't control. And one of those things decide to change their model a little bit. You're stuck because you have these leases that you sign for tenor, you know, a movie theater. <laughs> what else is this thing going to be? You know, it's a lot of real estate to have. Right. So, yeah, that's kind of where they're at right now. <laughs> and that's why they're bankrupt.
0: Well, I mean, that's that's the only advantage that the the theater companies really yeah, have right, over right. the malls and shopping what centers. Like, get? what? What are you gonna put in? Exactly. Here? You gonna put a Borders in here? No, <laughs> right, I don't. And think And Amazon's so. not expanding
1: right. anymore, so you can't make it right. a warehouse. So uh, you yeah. know, yeah. Who else are you gonna just like? Yeah. we the
0: the number the number of spaces that can occupy <laughs> this footprint is radically <laughs> yeah. shrinking. So you know, you're you're kind of stuck yeah, with us. Uh, exactly. I there there was one note from your from your we're taping this on Tuesday. Uh, there was one one note from your newsletter today that I just wanted to 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 highlight very quickly because it's it jumped out at me as absurd. Um, focus features paying thirty million dollars for the new Alexander Payne movie. Right. I don't under, I don't understand that. Okay. Just as a just as a business just as a business decision. How do you I, I in this environment, how do they make that money back? <laughs>
1: um it's well it's a, they're global <laughs> rights, so it's worldwide, number one. It's not just for okay. US, so remember right. that. Uh which you can then I mean, Universal, Focus Features is owned by Universal uh, Pictures, which is part of the Comcast organization. Uh, so they do have a, a wide network. So either you can kind of buy it all and then they could also then sell off territories for certain money, which means sure. they probably sure. will just release it themselves because they have the infrastructure. But that's one way you can do it is to just buy the rights and then subsell to France and Japan. And you get $2 million here from a distributor there, you get $3 million, you know, so you kind of make your money back that way. But it's also, you know, they kind of just did this, I mean, uh Peacock wasn't mentioned in this announcement. It was just focus features. So yeah, go ahead.
0: Well, this is what this is what yeah. I wanted to ask. Is this is this a pl- is this a Peacock play well, or a theatrical right. play?
1: Right. So I'm going back to, you know, so there's a movie called Honk
0: uh oh geez. Uh, hunk, hunk Honk for, for Jesus, Jesus save your
1: soul. There you go. Yeah. Rolls off the tongue. Uh just came out, well, came out uh, over Labor Day weekend and that was a Peacock and in theaters, same day release, they, Peacock, but that was a, from Focus Features, and that was a Focus, and Peacock bought that together at Sundance, but that was, Peacock wasn't that announcement, and they bought it for 8.5 million dollars the film has grossed maybe two million and change so far. So you're taking a, you know, that's before Prince and ever before marketing and all other stuff. So they're right. gonna lose you know, a lot of money on that. What the benefit to Peacock was in that equation was not $6 million. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, you know, so yeah. How do you figure this math out? You know, uh, cause you're also, that's 30 million for the movie, right? So if you're going to put that in market, that film, properly and you know and maybe not you know thor money but at least it's going to get a you know a beast size release uh if you will that's another 20 to 30 million so you're talking 60 million in the hole is a paul giamatti alexander payne movie gonna make you back 60 million globe it might um look sideways that there are you know his track record is here or there is it a lock no yeah it's a it's a lot of money certainly um
0: Yeah. And and I want to be clear here. I'm, I want to be clear here. I'm not, I'm not attacking, uh, Alexander Payne or Paul Giamatti because I've no, I've no idea, no idea if the movie's going to be any good. I probably will be. They, they're good filmmakers. They make good movies. Um, and I'm not even really attacking focus features here because I like focus features. I think they make good movies. I just don't, I don't understand the economics of this. It's, it strikes me as it just strikes me as uh, a, a crazy amount of money to spend for a genre that is still not, it's still not recovered. Right. Yep. No one at the knows, box no one knows. Yeah. for, and if they're going to, if they're going to use it as a, as a way to get people on Peacock, I just don't see,
1: I don't see. No, it. It's not going to be a big sign up. How much, you know, how many Alexander Payne fans are there out there that want to, you know, pay? The, who knows? Um, good, good question. You know, valuable because it's again, you're paying five dollars for it on Peacock. You're not paying 20 bucks in the theater or, you know, so yeah. that crowd whoever that, you know, I'm going to call it art house. Whatever it might be is like, sure. I'll, and then you've just lost fifteen dollars in the equation. So, yeah, um, um 30 is high, Um Look, maybe there was a bidding. I'm sure there was a, you know, a bidding war, and these things get a little out of control sometimes. Um, Alexander Payne is, you know, his last movie, I think, was Downsizing with with Matt Damon. Uh, I think, anyway, but maybe it was a Will Ferrell movie, Downhill. What am I thinking of? I don't know. Anyway, both he hasn't had a hit in a a couple, you know, in a little while. So, yeah, it's probably, yeah, I agree with you. I love Focus. I'm a big Alexander Payne fan. It does, when you do the math of like, Hmm. You gonna make back sixty mil on this? All right, Maybe. I don't yeah. know.
0: But not. It's not. It's, yeah.
1: Most importantly, it's not my money. So you
0: know. yeah. Well, that's that's. I mean, that's. Uh, this not is my all problem. monopoly money. As far as far as. Uh, well, yeah, that was everything I, I wanted to ask and talk to you about. Uh, I always like to close these interviews by asking if there's anything I should have mentioned. Oh, the, actually, I take it back. There was one more thing I wanted to talk to <laughs> you about because I, 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 am, I am, I am, I, I, as I said, I am, uh, uh, I, I love your, your newsletter. It's a it's a big value add for the Ankler. Uh, and I read it every morning um, to try and see, you know, it, not only to keep up with what's happening in the industry, but also to frankly st- steal some sure. ideas for my own. Uh, writing uh what is your process like do you do you start writing the night before is it like do you wake up at like two in the morning and just start you know going through everything what is your what is your actual morning and day
1: like only, only on a bad day i'm up at 2 a.m um it's mostly evening writing and then morning is touch up for lack of a better term so that's that's usually you know i'll kind of at it depends on what my day is and things like that but you know the thing, I mean, honestly, the nature of it is you have to be flexible because then the, some days the news there's a barrage of news in the afternoon, and then I can write it. Then some days the barrage, and I'm working mostly off of quote unquote L.A. time. I'm based in New York, so the the news may not be till the afternoon, which is starting at five o'clock here my time. So then the evening can be busy, and then I don't know if you how I've been reading for, but I do every earnings season. I do very you know kind of uh, breaking the, those down, all the earnings calls down into what I call plain English for people to kind of understand in those calls, you know, this the two to three week period where the, those weeks are entirely different, where I'm up, you know, on an 8 a.m.'s earnings call, writing to get the thing out by nine, nine 15 or, in, you know, or end of day, or, or the calls are like five or five 30 at six o'clock at night, mm-hmm. at which point I'm ready until eight, just on earnings calls information. So I wish I had a better answer. It's mostly evening is my only, you know, kind of real answer I can give you that can go pretty late if it's been a busy day. Uh, but I don't know until, I see what the news gods uh, rain down from above, and when something like D23 happens, my Sunday is shot, so I have to sit there and go yeah. through all the trades and read through and then say, alright, here's the easy way to digest this uh, as possible. So, yeah. that's the the basic run of the land.
0: Uh, uh, once again, a great, great uh, newsletter, a uh, whole lineup of newsletters uh, at the Ankler. Go sign up. Um, Sean, I really appreciate you being uh, on the show. Uh, hopefully we'll get you back on Uh, you know, soon here. And um, uh, my name is Sonny Bunch, I'll be back next week with another episode of The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. See you guys (laughs) then.